Media Consumers, Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. This is the special inauguration edition of the Press Box. And David Joseph R. Biden Jr., today is the only day we get to use his full name, was just sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. Amen to that. And and uh, not just rhetorically, because that the last hour of my life was felt like the most profound church service I've ever been to. Um, and it was one, I think, this country needed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Okay, so on that note, in normal times, I think you and I would be doing this podcast and having a jolly time with the platitudes that the news anchors use today. Mm -hmm. Peaceful transfer of power, the rituals of American democracy, et cetera, et cetera. I have never rooted harder for platitudes Mm -hmm. than I did today. How good did those sound coming out of the mouth of Brian Williams and everybody else? Uh, it, it sounded fantastic. Um, you know, the normalcy of the event, and, and and listen, there was a lot of severe, glaring abnormalities compared to previous inaugurations. But the but the but the overall normalcy of it, I think, was incredibly powerful. But the admission that things weren't normal, I think, was even more powerful, and. You know, to hear uh, to hear everybody who was given uh, time at the microphone sort of refer to peaceful trans- transfers of power and and everything else it felt in- incredibly. It did. It, it it felt good. It felt good. I mean, it, listen, all of that was spoken against a very real anxiety on the part of you and me and everybody else watching that it might not go off smoothly. You know, I mean, it, I mean, up until the Bidens left the stage. Uh, in my kind of happy emotion was combating a fear that anything that something terrible could happen. Me too. Uh, it's an, in a way, I really enjoyed the festivities today, and I was eager for them to end and everything to peacefully go <laughs> go about its business. I mean, just to say the most obvious thing right off the top here. The building they were standing outside of today was invaded by domestic terrorists two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Two weeks ago today, what Biden called in his speech sacred ground was overrun by the guy with the Viking horns. 
and people who were sitting in Nancy Pelosi's desk. That was two weeks ago. So yeah, to, to it's anxiety. And then I think competing with that anxiety, a kind of relief and pride that this ceremony happened in that same spot. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk more about kind of what's the first term of, or the next few weeks have in store for the Biden administration. We'll be talking about that. I'm sure very regularly over the next four years. Um, but, you know, as much as I think I and many others were tempted to roll our eyes at Biden's uh, obsession with bipartisanship and and uh, kind of uh, glorification of the old days of politics that probably don't exist anymore. Well, for one thing, that was I mean, that was his platform. So, you know, we should all in some sense give runway to that whether or not we think it's feasible. Um, but but I think what's more pertinent to today is, and to the last two weeks, is that I, Joe Biden ran on, you know, that and ran on the, the, this notion of, of healing our country. And it, and it evolved past, it, it grew into something bigger than a platitude over the last two weeks, right? I mean, it, it was the, the attempted insurrection, this act of terrorism on our Capitol two weeks ago, you know, I, I think sort of ended the point in time and ended whatever time period it was that we could sort of be nonchalant about such ideas. And 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 it really it really, I guess, it opened the doors to a, a, a new moment in which sort of normalcy and, and platitudes and everything else have a new sort of power and a new relevance and a new importance. And and that's this that's we should all be joyous hearing those things today. Well, it's interesting to go back to Joe Biden's obsession with healing and with unity because remember he told us that he ran for president after what happened in charlottesville mm -hmm. and that was beyond the platitude idea of unity that yeah. was oh wow something is really broken in this country right now something is really 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 broken perhaps more broken than a lot of people were willing to admit before that took place and then i think this whole idea of unity sort of grew right it grew with the coronavirus we need to literally heal this country heal it not only from this deadly virus that's now killed 400,000 people but heal it from the after effects of a president who denied that the virus really existed or said it would magically go away and then as you point out in the last 2 weeks we've had Oh, wow. Democracy was threatened at the Capitol. So it felt by the time that Biden got up there today. You're right. It, it totally had a new resonance. It also put Joe Biden in the spot that he, I think, is most comfortable in, which is this sort of, you know, longtime civil servant, almost like you're, you know, the aging political science professor that the students really like. And I'm going to tell you guys all about yeah. democracy and I'm going to lean into the cliches a little bit and it's going to work, right? It had, it was, it was, I thought, it, I thought his speech was great today and I thought it was absolutely the speech he needed to give at this moment in time. Yeah. I mean, it was the best speech that he's given and I don't, and, and, and certainly I think the, the, the auction he was breathing, um, the moment that we're in lent a certain credence to it that it might not have had otherwise that he might not have exemplified otherwise but he was it, it was it was a fantastic speech he um, led off by saying at this hour my friends democracy has prevailed he yeah. then quoted lincoln david saying my whole soul is in this idea of uniting america 
mm-hmm. said politics doesn't have to be a, a raging fire and this uncivil war. It was it was really the absolute polar opposite of the speech Donald Trump gave four years ago, that American carnage speech of which George W. Bush famously said that was some weird shit. <laughs> this was as unweird and down the middle democracy American system here. You know, we must continue. We must face our fears as you could possibly get. Yeah. And 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 yet sort of it, it's a radical sort of normalcy, right? It's a radical sort of return to uh, or foundations um, because it seems so impossible right now. And listen, we we. Uh, like I said, we, we've, you know, many people rolled their eyes at his talk of bipartisanship at his ideas of healing. Um, but people rolled it. I mean, we, we were on this podcast. I mean, I, I hope I'm not speaking incorrectly of you, but we were rolling our eyes when Joe Biden was leaking that he might get into the presidential race because he thought he was the only one that could win. And well, I mean, he was right that he could win. Um, I, admit, were, I rolled my eyes more than once at the idea of Joe Biden's campaign. People people rolled their eyes when he didn't fight back, you know, at various Trump slaps during the campaign. He was right, you know? I mean, I, I don't, I can, I hope that he's right about unity, you know? I hope that he's, I hope that, I hope that these things are right. And, and, and you know, it's a incredible moment that he finds himself in. Um, you know, the best case scenario for the next four years is, well, I'm not even going to go that far, but but just to, to to take what you said about Biden is and his career. I mean, a, a good Biden presidency is the argument for career civil service in a moment, you know, in an era where that where it seems outdated, right? I mean, he is mm-hmm. uh, a successful Biden presidency is a vindication of a lifetime, you know, serving in the government, right? That you don't need to break the government. Uh, exactly. in this kind of theatrical, ridiculous fashion, but you actually need to fix the government and make it better. Look, I, I, I think this idea of unity and, and healing, it, it's tempting to kind of see it a little bit too broadly, but it's actually functions on a couple of different levels. There is, I'm going to unite the country, which a lot of nervous Democrats take as I'm going to get rolled by Mitch McConnell, Yeah, <laughs> which is, by the way, a very, very legitimate fear to have about Joe Biden, just as it was about Barack Obama, because people have been down that road before. I totally get that. Then there's, I want to unite the country by doing the simple symbolic stuff of being an American president, which you have pointed out many times, Donald Trump just didn't do. Like, I know, standing on the National Mall last night, or having that silent moment of prayer today during his inaugural address, where you just recognize that lots and lots of Americans have died of the coronavirus. And saying the word amen at the end of that very powerful moment. There's there's standing up to domestic terrorism, to Trump stealing the election, to QAnon. Uh, Biden had a good line. He said, lies told for power and for profit today. You know, that kind of national healing. And I, and I actually think that's pretty separate from the idea that, you know, Democrats and Republicans are just going to get along. Maybe Biden is going to go in for that whole critique Maybe it's going to be a big mess on Capitol Hill when he tries to get legislation because he has a very, very outdated idea of government. He might, but at least in the other context, unity is not a bad idea right now. And in fact, seems like the most important idea he could have had today standing up there in front of the Capitol. Yeah, I mean, and even if you want to look at it from some sort of jaded point of view, 
it's a good negotiating place to start from. I mean, to, to have the country behind you, unified behind you in the name of unity, right? I mean, and maybe and maybe he will get ruled by Mitch McConnell and and, and maybe, I mean, and listen, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a real fear, as you pointed out, and it's a much more significant fear than it has been at any point over the past 20 years, maybe more, because, you know, we can't shift the tax burden away from the wealthy 1% more, right? I mean, that's, that's like, the, <laughs> that, that is the perilous situation our country finds itself in, and getting ruled by Mitch McConnell almost inherently means that, right? Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I think. I think. I think. At this point, at least for the near future, we give our new president the benefit of the doubt. A couple other notes on his speech. Joe Biden is just a continuing advertisement, David, for the power of short speeches. Mm-hmm. Not just because you and I would rather not uh, watch a speech that goes on for an hour and five minutes, or you know, a kind of Clintonian winding address, but it's so much more powerful when it's short. Mm-hmm. It's like your editor tells you when you when you turn in a piece and says this is be twice as good, half as long. That is every Joe Biden speech. <laughs> like I'm just going to say this directly. I, I'm going to put a few adornments on there, yes, but I'm going to I am I'm just going to say it. I'm, I'm going to give you the nut graphs of this speech, and I'm going to just dispense with the other stuff. Yeah, he's not shooting for like any kind of hashtag long reads uh, uh, <laughs> No, he's not going to be on the long form podcast anytime soon i don't think that was really striking uh the shout out to jimmy carter who the only living president besides trump who could not be there today really struck me there were some parts where biden seemed to be reaching for a little bit of like almost churchill flourishes he said master this rare and difficult hour that that was a really interesting Mm -hmm. line sounded a little bit un uh joe biden to me but i thought it was quite good uh, he referenced, he said, St. Augustine, a saint in my church. Yeah. Reminding us that Joe Biden is the second Catholic president of the United States. Uh, name check the song American Anthem. I was kind of worried where that was going. That uh, quotation actually seemed to to work pretty well within the con- confines of the speech. And then I love this tweet from Alex Seitzwald. Expect you all to keep breathlessly quote tweeting the White House with messages like, wow, this is precedented. Not unprecedented. <laughs> this is precedented. And I thought about that while Biden was speaking today. This is all everything he's saying is very, very precedented. Uh, even given the crazy circumstances. Yeah. Um it was it was a uh defiant, a defiant reclamation of the American project. Sort of. You know, I mean it's just um I mean, I, I, I mean, I hesitate. I mean, I, I find it difficult to speak without speaking in cliches, you know, I mean, a, about what we saw today. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that we'll listen. We, we saw, a, like you said, every president, every living president, except for Biden and Jimmy Carter were gathered there today. And, except and, for Trump and Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry. What did I say? Biden? Yeah. Bi- Joe Biden did attend his own inauguration. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to him. Uh, for being there, um, for manning up the, the, you know, uh, George W. Bush, well, has not been mentioned a lot over the last four years, but when he does get mentioned, it's usually George W. Bush says that's some weird shit or has some sort of direct or indirect comment at which point, uh, everybody on kind of liberal Twitter, um, you know, feels obligated to remind us that he is a war criminal and, uh, and you know, that as much evil happened under his administration as any other. And listen, I think there's a really compelling argument to be made that 
you know, Jeb Bush or literally any of the other contenders for the nomination four years ago would have been a more damaging Republican president in some ways, right, than, than, than Trump. But I say all of this to say this. I was thinking about George W. Bush today, and he did a lot of really reprehensible shit. But I think what makes us, or what makes us and some people sympathetic to him <clears throat> is not just his kind of affable post-presidency demeanor and his painting and whatever else, but it's the fact that all of the terrible shit that he did was functionally part of the Republican platform, right? And I don't mean this in just some sort of like, I don't mean to sound jaded about this, but there's no other Republican president that wouldn't have invaded the Middle East the way he did. There might be, but it's sort of insignificant. All of the, all of the just reprehensible stuff that he did was abetted by his entire party, by the entire government for the most part. And that's, whether or not you agree with it, you probably you shouldn't agree with it, but it's but it's you know it, we're, it's it's on all of us a little bit. This is the government that we've helped create, and this is a government, and this is what this government's going to do. I think what makes Trump stand out from George W. Bush or any of his predecessors, literally any of his predecessors, is that his evils were were off script. His evils were like uh, above and beyond any like inherent any inherent cruelty or. Or, or corruption of the office of the of the political process, um, despite the fact that he was abetted, he was abetted by the entire Republican Party for four years. It's not just a cause for introspection. It, we, it, I think it was a shock to m most of America that he did have a constituency for some of the stuff that he did, and that's you know a, that that's I think where a lot of the pain comes from. But anyway, it's the whole long way of saying Trump is worse than what what came before him, and. Uh, I mean, we don't need to waste a second saying, talking about how he wasn't there today. He shouldn't have been there today. He didn't deserve to be there today. And I'm glad that he wasn't. Yeah, that was that was the uh, what Joe Biden said uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said, the only thing I agree with Donald Trump about is please don't come to the inauguration. We're all good. We're all good. Thank, thanks for that. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. 
Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Let's say a few words, David, about Kamala Harris. Uh, It got me when I believe it was Amy Klobuchar who used the word Madam Vice President-Elect. She is, of course, as the New York Times notes, the first woman and the first woman of color to serve as vice president. Um, A huge day for her. It was very interesting to see her today she we did she does not get to speak on an occasion like this but um but her presence was no less powerful weirdly had her name mispronounced i think by sonia sotomayor <laughs> can we can we just make sure we got that right now that she is the vice president of the united states but what did you make of kamala harris today um you know there's a lot of ways that in which this day is it felt I don't think it was really about any one person. I think that Joe Biden capably made it about our country. But, you know, kind of her moment in a lot of ways seemed maybe one of the most significant, maybe the most significant one of the day. Um, She's going to be, you know, in a really important force over the next four years and beyond. And um, and it was, I think, a really compelling moment. And really, I mean, just her really compelling day, just if you just watched her and her family. yeah, it was it, it was it was big. Couple other notes for you. Uh, I heard this on MSNBC this morning. How striking was it that everyone was wearing masks up yeah. there at the podium? And you you talk about like whether another Republican president would have been elected in 2016. I just thinking on Earth two, you know, there is either Hillary Clinton as president in 2016, or there's another Republican, some generic Jeb Bush style Republican wins that election. And we don't have this insane political debate over masks, right? Maybe we have a political debate over when should we reopen the schools? When should we reopen businesses? You know, what is the balance between protecting citizens and trying to keep businesses open and and solvent over these last nine or so months? But the whole let's not wear masks thing was aided and abetted and in some cases started by the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of Republicans felt obliged to go along with that and pretend that that just wasn't a good idea. Then you look at the podium today, Trump's gone. Everybody's wearing masks. Oh, oh, wow. That was easy. <laughs> we're all, we're all, I guess we're all, I guess we're all good, right? Nobody is theatrically refusing to wear a mask because it deprives them of their liberty. Okay. Well, that was that like, glad we took nine months to figure that out. You know, I mean, it's just a perfect metaphor for the just irrational hold that Trump had over his party. You know, that sh- it shouldn't have even been a topic of conversation. It should have been a given. But, um, you know, he, 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 Trump was just such a frightened man, insecure man, that he didn't think that he could put on a mask without jeopardizing his legacy. Well, I guess that didn't really work out. He made fun of Biden for wearing masks. Mm hmm. You made fun of him during a debate for wearing masks. Uh, the TV shot of the day, David, was the cutaway to Mike Pence, <laughs> which seemed to happen about every minute and a half during the ceremony. And I was laughing because on the one hand, it seems like almost, you know, the shot they show of the losing 
football coach when the last second field goal goes through the uprights. Mm-hmm. But then I, I think I figured it out over the course of the day that that's the peaceful transfer of power shot. In a normal day, yeah. that would have been Donald Trump. Okay, we're we're showing Donald Trump. He is the loser of the election or he is the former president. And now we're showing the person who's going to be the next president. That's just the grammar of those platitudes we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. But they didn't have anybody to put in that shot. So it became Mike Pence. Who got an incredible amount of airtime today just sitting there looking stoic in his mask. It's true. I mean, this is probably this is basically just the 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 goal of. The entire vice presidency for Mike Pence was to stand around and look presidential while Trump goofed off. I mean, unfortunately, he had to, you know, uh, we say a, we're saying a bet a lot in this podcast. Unfortunately, he had to co-sign yeah, well, a lot of just terrible, terrible, historically reprehensible shit uh, to get to this moment. But but uh, a lot of abetting. He did get a lot of airtime. A lot of aiding and abetting over the last mm-hmm. four years. Uh, Lady Gaga National Anthem. With that dramatic hand gesture to the actual American flag that was yeah. waving behind her. I like that. J-Lo uh, did This Land is Your Land. By the way, really underrated patriotic song. This oh, Land yeah. is Your Land. I've been, I've been singing that with the kids. I think they learned that at school recently. Mm-hmm. That That's a cool song, by the way. She did a fabulous job with it today. And then one you were looking forward to, David. I know especially Garth Brooks. Oh, yeah. Doing Amazing Grace. I loved all the kind of speaking of, you know, the rituals of democracy. How about the rituals of country music where you remove your cowboy hat before mm-hmm. you sing Amazing Grace? Yeah. And then just really making love to the camera. You know, I want I don't want just the people here to sing the last verse with me. I want though you people at home to say, is this is this hee haw and the Grand Ole Opry? I mean, this is amazing, right? <laughs> it was fantastic. It was it was a really good uh good performance. I mean, listen, I Amazing Grace, uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I, I make more cracks about Amazing Grace than say positive things about the song because it's it's the, the kind of control V stand in whenever a scene in any television show or movie goes to church, they are they are immediately singing that song, despite yes. the fact that that is not the song <laughs> you sing every week in church. Um, so it's a little bit overdone, but it's a, but let's be fair. Uh, it's a banger. Uh, it, it was the perfect moment to sing it. And um it was a, uh, it was just a really, really great performance by Garth Brooks. And was it uh, Roy Blunt who was uh, up there afterwards and was able to correctly reference that the the you know really memorable time that President Obama sang that song mm-hmm. uh, to uh, after the massacre in South Carolina? That was that was um, a really powerful uh, moment too, and it was it was nice for him to tie that back. Most random attendee of the inauguration, Dan Quayle or A Rod. <laughs> uh, who do you got on that one? Poor Dan Quayle, because I think he's the answer, and yet he was the vice president. You know, I mean, I think that uh, you know maybe Mike Pence should take note. There, there's no <laughs> like if you're this a is one your future. Well, no, yeah, if you're a one-term pre, people always talk about one-term presidents as sort of being disappointments or whatever. But like you know, one-term presidents are still re- are still entering to pomp and circumstance when they show up at these big events. One-term vice presidents. I mean, you you you're lucky to find a good lobbying job after that, right? <laughs> you just get you just get lost. <laughs> I uh, one time I was doing uh, oral history for Grantland on the 1989 World Series, and this is the Earthquake World Series. And Dan mm-hmm. Quayle, uh, I guess, surveyed the damage after the San Francisco earthquake. So I wanted to get Dan Quayle on the phone. 
So I like wrote, you know, the equivalent of info at danquail.gov, you know, just thinking like, I don't, I don't really know how to do this, but I'll just start here. And I swear he got on the phone the next day. I mean, oh, he, was, wow. he was good. He was, he was very available. Uh, he, he was happy to talk. By the way, Dan Quayle, I saw this on Twitter, five years younger than Joe Biden. Dan Quayle became president, vice president, excuse me, in 1989, and he is five years younger than <laughs> Joe Biden, who became president in 2021. Try that on for size. I don't know if you noticed this moment. Right after the ceremonies were complete, there were a couple of military officers carrying flags around for the various branches of the military, and somebody had the Space Force flag. I Yes. Yes. Did that not just get canceled at 1201? You know, did, <laughs> Joe Biden, you know, I have a bunch of things I want to do today, but first, can we go ahead and cancel the Space Force? Yeah, maybe the, maybe there's the path forward. You know, like Trump installed Michael, this guy, Michael Ellis, as a, it, the NSA's general counsel and all these Democrats, I think, including Biden, are just like, no, you can never serve. Like, you can't. We're not just going to take this weird midnight hour like appointee and, and give. But but the, but the rule is you either have to go through this laborious process of removal or you can just transfer them to any other position of equal level. We'll just transfer everybody with the Trump stench <laughs> to Space Force. Give them give them like CEO yeah. titles, whatever they need, whatever they want over there to Space Force. And then just, you know, uh, let them just, we'll just, we'll just put like a an old Atari and a, and a Space Invaders cartridge in front of them and let them have fun. It's the government equivalent of congrats on your new job at Fusion. Yeah. <laughs> congrats on your new job at Space Force. Uh, by the uh, way, speaking of Space Force, I loved Al Gore beaming into cable news today. Uh, he was not at the inauguration, but he had that background where it looked like he was photographed from the moon because Earth mm -hmm. was floating in the background. <laughs> yeah. Good overworked Twitter joke. Al Gore went from trying to save the planet to just getting the fuck up out of here. I like that one. <laughs> and by the way, David, what a time for news anchors today. We talked about the platitudes. I love this ritual every four years, I guess it's every year at the State of the Union too, where news anchors are showing off that not only can they pick out obscure politicians just by sight, yeah. but they can pick out the obscure politicians by sight with their masks on. Oh my God, yeah. That is absolutely the way you tell your audience that you are a true political nerd and not just a hairdo who appears on cable news. I, I, I can find John Thune wearing his mask. Like I, I'm, I'm that good. Would you turn into a channel that was just like the the various anchors from around the, all, all the talking heads from all these channels, just just trying to identify people as quickly as possible? Absolutely, <laughs> with like a buzzer. Because <laughs> I would like Rachel Maddow absolutely destroys <laughs> just, at that. Everything she said, she was just cutting it on herself, saying yeah. just like, <laughs> <laughs> like I believe that's uh, I believe that 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 the pe person in the ski mask is uh, yeah. Let's uh, end with Trump. Oh, by the way, the funny before we do that, the funniest pick out was I don't know if you saw this was Tim Kaine who was wearing a knit cap that actually said TK on the side. <laughs> no, <laughs> although I kind of want a TK. We, our, our copy desk would probably kill for those knit caps. Poor Tim Kaine, who seems like a genuinely uh, good politician, is now in the Dan Quayle zone of American life. Before we get off, before we get away from the media, and I know this is uh, unofficially the Brian Williams Appreciation Podcast, but we must acknowledge. Uh, it, the the line of the day that was not spoken from that podium was spoken by by Brian Williams after all the after every when everybody was exiting. He said, "32 minutes ago, while Joe Biden spoke, the power of the presidency slipped from the grasp of a twice impeached private citizen in Florida." 
And I think that that is like the <laughs> that is the epi- epigraph of this uh, past four years that we really we really needed. That was better than his other line, which was that America is back. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there was a lot of today that be- belonged in like a Ford trucks commercial, but like that's we will we are accepting that we are happy to have it. Uh, rather than to have someone who's like cosplaying as uh, the, the talking head in the Ford trucks commercial, let's just embrace that part of America uh, firmly today. America like a rock. All right, let's do some uh, let's do some Trump notes before we get out of here. David, Donald Trump did leave a note for Joe Biden at the White House. After all, the one bit of presidential succession transition that Donald Trump honored, besides actually just leaving. He left a note. We don't know what it says yet. Somebody posted the Zodiac Killers note on Twitter (laughs) as being part of it. I thought that was pretty unexpected. He is a note guy. So maybe maybe we should have uh, we should have anticipated that. Uh, Donald Trump. Very by the way, okay. Listen, if if Trump if Trump spokesman Judd <laughs> Trump spokesman Judd Deere confirmed to Politico Wednesday that the president had written a letter to President Elect Joe Biden and left it for him in the Oval Office's resolute desk. The Trump White House did not divulge the contents of what Trump left for Biden to read. First of all, it didn't say contents of the letter; it said of what Trump left for Biden to read. Weird formulation there, but also. If Trump spokesman Judd Deere tells you that he left a letter, why do we believe he left a letter? Like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It's basically just right, calling Biden's a bluff. Too much we, credit. we know Biden cares too much about civility to point out the fact that this is bullshit. So we're just going to say he left a letter. <laughs> or, or, or when Biden, or when someone in the Biden White House questions it, just be like, "Listen, the letter was there when we left. I don't know which one of your people made it made it go bye bye, but it's not our fault." Trump uh, gave his own speech this morning very early at Joint Base Andrews. He had the line, we will be back in some form. We will be back in some form, which led to the overworked Twitter joke, oh, wait, Trump is Voldemort, uh, after all. <laughs> Listen, he he was, he was, uh, he also didn't acknowledge the Bi- Biden by name, right? So someone point out that like he he went from he hasn't he, yet no the he, he went from election. he went from calling Biden Sleepy Joe to his new nickname which is just the incoming administration but uh, um I mean whatever get the fuck off stage but at the same time it's just evidence he needs somebody smart telling him what to do which he hasn't had over the past four years at any point in his life I guess which is that like. If you sit around saying the incoming administration refusing to say his name, then the crazy people who believe in you and who murder in your name will continue to believe that something is afoot, that we're, it's not actually the Biden administration, that Q is still leading us to some glor- glory, glorious new future. Um, so whatever, we don't have to listen to him anymore, but that's a huge misstep. And by the way, are we going to talk about his valedictory speech from earlier this week? Oh, yeah. You were texting me about that. It was the most. Was it last night that he sent it? It, it was, was the last most, night. Yeah. I was eating dinner and I came down, I was like kind of going over with my wife, the, like the eventualities that would cause us to podcast before this moment in time. And I was like, well, if Trump does something crazy and releases a speech, she's like, oops, it just happened. And we watched it together about five minutes in. I was like, how long is this thing? And she tapped on it. I was like, it was like 25 minutes or something. And she was like, are you okay? And she could like see anxiety. Just, I was like, what? This is not, I I need to know what happens before I just spend 25 minutes. I need you to spoil it. Give me the spoilers. <laughs> but it was such a dumb, dishonest, silly speech. And I know presidencies do this all the time, but it's not, you talked about George W. Bush the other day. Was that on the air after the podcast? I don't even remember. But 
the way that he his his presidency is you know they sort of rewrote his uh, his presidency after the fact um but but Trump's speech was so much further than that i mean it was just so dishonest and so silly and so just uh, it was just such a it was so, so different than everything that came before it was it was like it was like if you put the 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 end of movie monologue from Shawshank Redemption, like and like just taped it onto the end of Battlefield Earth or something. I mean, it was just like it was not. It was. Yeah. It was. It just didn't. It just was so. It, it was so nonsensical. It was almost. It would have been offensive just because of that, but it was also just offensive. So. By the way, speaking of movies, did you see the? I guess on purpose, touch today when Trump gave a speech. Uh, and his and Air Force One took off for the final time, just as the speakers were playing the final strains of Sinatra's "My Way," <laughs> which our pal Matt Zeitlin notes. This is also how the movie Goodfellas ends with a <laughs> semi-ironic playing of "My Way." Yeah, that was something else. Um, and then I guess we should just spend uh, thirty seconds here, David, on the pardon palooza that came down in the wee hours. Donald Trump did not self-pardon. He did not pardon any members of his family. He did pardon quite a number of people ranging from former Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick to Janine Pirro's husband. Ex-husband. Ex-husband. Addendum. Addendum. Does that Sam Stein tweet? It was was his ex-husband. Okay. Uh, So now we will will ponder the uh, potential litigation of Donald Trump's presidency in that context. Love this tweet from Patrick Monahan. Trump is going to pardon the guy who calls you at least once a day with an important message about your vehicle's warranty. <laughs> uh, I did not see his name on the list, but then again, I don't know what his name is. Uh, anyway, he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic is always by Erica Cervantes. David, we're back Monday for the post-Trump period of this podcast. Of course, we won't be talking about him next week. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. We'll just we'll just completely forget. We'll have nothing at all to say about Donald Trump. We'll be very quiet, not trying to uh, interfere with American politics at all. And, of course, more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. <laughs>